Thanks, Gar. You know, I was watching Madeline Marie being uh, dedicated. I was thinking she got a little Bible, and I'm sure it's white. I, I didn't see it yet, but uh, it's not like a camouflage Bible like guys get, you know. But uh, I remember when I was a little baby, I, I wasn't there to see it, but I, well, I was there, but I, <laughs> I need glasses, so I didn't see it. But uh, I was a little baby, and, and I know that they gave me a, a white Bible with a zipper on it. It was about this big, had pictures in it and so forth, because I still have it somewhere, and um, I, my mom in gold filigree wrote my name, Steve Shogren, and, and uh, I, that was the only Bible I had that I knew of, and so I came to the Lord, uh, began to take it to Bible studies, a white Bible, and uh, so, okay, I began to get funny looks from people. I didn't know that guys don't carry white Bibles, and so uh, I carried it, and it only took about two weeks. I'm seeing people, you know, you know what the chicken eye is? Chickens have eyes on the sides of their heads, and they start looking like this. Uh, when, you know, that is really weird. He must be from, nobody has told him yet that guys don't carry white Bibles. And, uh, you know, like the second week, I'm going, what? You know, what is it? And they go, well, nobody's pulled you aside yet, but guys don't carry white Bibles. We need to tell you that. Just uncouth, you know, so... Anyway, I, I traded in for a, a black one, and I was okay after that. So, anyway, so just if you have a white Bible and you're a guy, just giving you a heads up, you know. So we, we'll turn it in. Glad to give you, you know, don't throw it away. Just, uh, you know, if it's a special one you got as a baby, you know. So, okay, moving right along. We're starting up a new series, uh, The Kindness of God That Brings Provision. And we're going to look at the life of Moses the next several weeks, uh, specifically three weeks but how he had to discover the, uh, the provision of God. And uh, really comes down to this simple idea that, that there was a lot of, uh, I think, fear in, in Moses' life. And uh, really, we're going to look at this idea that where we are stuck in fear, that God comes along and he begins to uh, show us how to break free from fear by coming and doing the opposite of the fear that we're, we're facing. And we're not going to look uh, at this specific, well, we are looking at this in a way, but uh, when you have a, a fear of not enough time, uh, you tend to grasp the time that you have, and you tend to uh, tell people, well, somebody asks you to help out, well, you know, I would, but I'm, not, I'm just way too busy. You with me here? And, and so the way to overcome that by the, the, the wisdom, the strategy, um, and so forth, the empowering of God is you begin to give away what you do have of time. And amazingly, you may have discovered this already, that uh, things are loosened in your head and you discover, I guess I have more time than I thought I had. If you fear that you don't have enough uh, love uh, and uh, so forth, maybe you've been hurt in a relationship what you begin to do is become a, a miser of love. You become, to, you become a, uh, a uh, scrooge of love. And you begin to act very oddly with other relationships. And you say, I'll never, ever love somebody again. There's lots of country western songs about that. You don't need to look very far. And not just country western, but you look on, on uh, you know, top 40 songs and so forth. And, and there's tons of songs about that that are popular. And that's kind of the, the theme almost. And... Uh, uh, that would be one of the themes anyway, and you, you kind of hold on to so you don't hurt yourself and get hurt again. But uh, what God would say is when you fear not having enough love, what you do is you give the little bit of love you have away, and more love comes back to you. And what we're going to see today and throughout this whole series is uh, specifically at the root, I'm going to suggest this to you, we're going to see it this week a little bit, and then the next couple of weeks is that when you fear not having enough provision, 
which I believe all of us do to some degree, and, and I think all of us do to a, a large degree periodically. We fear not having enough provision. God says, I'm going to show you strategically from the life of Moses how to attack that fear. Amazingly, we begin to work in the opposite spirit, the opposite direction of fearing not enough provision. And God says, as you do that, you will see that uh, there is an influx. There is an inflow of uh, God showing up and doing amazing things in our life. Sound like fun to you? I love your enthusiasm. Okay, let's move right along. <laughs> We're looking today at the, uh, specifically how to regain courage. And I think at the, at the root of the whole thing, there is, uh, I think today specifically, the, the idea of courage. When we feel like we have been beaten up and that uh, at the base level we have lost courage. And we're going to look at that in the life of Moses today. If you're, not, if you're here today and you've never heard me speak, and if you have only heard me speak once before, let me give you a little bit of warning, a little bit of heads up, um, that, uh, that I, I have a different style of speaking. Um, and some of you are kind of going, what? You know, and I've never heard anybody speak like that before. Uh, so I hope you can tune in a little bit. I tend to, I, I give a straight level message, but I kind of go like this off the beaten path a little bit. So if, I, if you're kind of going, what did he talk about today? You might want to get the listen online to the MP3, and it'll make more sense later. Uh, some of you are going to totally track with me and so forth. If you are not used to going to church, you will totally probably track with me. And uh, what, I, what I tend to give, here's what I do. And here's what, Janie and I planted five churches, and specifically for these kinds of people, people that are spiritual but not religious. And I know that that's where you guys are, spiritual but not religious. But sometimes we get kind of in a track of a certain kind of a message, and so we get into thinking that's the way all messages ought to be given. And so what I do is a kind of a different kind of message for people that are, that are like that, that have not used to going to church. And so if, you're, if you can, you know, maybe it'll violate some of your thinking about how messages ought to be given. But uh, apparently there's a lot of people that like that kind of a message because we built some gigantic churches over the years doing that. Does that make sense to you guys a little bit? So, okay, there you have it. <laughs> now, I've had two friends of mine that have listened to my messages over and over the, over the years, and guess what? They became professional comedians. I'm not kidding. So uh, <laughs> I am not kidding. And one of them lives here in L.A., and he thanked me abundantly. You got me kicked off in my, my new career of being, and they were, one guy was a pastor before, and it, it rocked his world and so forth. So if you don't like to, just, you know, engage with a smile. And, you know, it's a, what it is, it's listening to me is kind of an acquired taste. And at first you might go, you know, <laughs> that guy, you know. I'm not coming back the next two weeks because I didn't like that guy, you know. And uh, it's kind of like drinking coffee. The first time you drink it, you go, you kind of go like that. You know, it's like an orc of the whale. But, you know, the second time you drink it, it's kind of like you get more used to it. The third time, you go into Starbucks, and you have an opinion. You say, you know, I love Brazilian, but Kenyan, I, you know, who in their right mind would drink Kenyan? And then the, the fourth week, you're saying, I like cappuccino versus a, a latte. You know, you're, you, be, and you drink like this with your, your finger up. You become a, an expert at it. So some things are acquired tastes. You, you with me here, folks? And a lot of things in life are like that. So maybe sometimes you get an acquired taste for things, and I think Steve Sugar messages are a little bit like that. So um, let's look at the, the fear of not having enough, and, and specifically the way Moses worked in his life. And today, see how it, it, uh, it came along and, and, and so forth. And, and specifically, look at the, the life of Moses. Let me give you a summary. Some of you are already very familiar with Moses, so I'm not going to go back and 
re-explain the life of Moses, but it's going to hit on the highlights. So for 40 years, he is raised in the, the court, as they call it, the court of Moses. He has uh, been pretty much discovered as a baby, and uh, he is uh, taken in as a uh, really kind of a stepson of Pharaoh and uh, treated in the lap of luxury, he has every opportunity that a person can be afforded. He uh, is, uh, you know, amazingly, you know, the sky's the limit kind of thing. The best schools, the best, uh, you know, opportunities. You know, he had kind of the, the best perks possible. You, you know what I'm talking about? Every year, a brand new Mercedes uh, chariot. You know, you know, he's got the, the S class, you know, the ones that are really, you know, close to six digits kind of a Mercedes. You know, and we're talking about the really nice ones. He, he went to Harvard of Egypt kind of thing, you know, and he has the class ring to prove it. And, you know, so he's, uh, you know, has the, the trust fund kid, you know, kind of thing. And so, you know, everywhere he goes, people are going, that's Moses, you know, and, and so forth. And people are, you know, he can't get enough accolades. And then at the age of 40, and by the way, 40 is typically thought of as a generation. So he spends his pretty much a, a whole life, and people commonly did die at that age. It wasn't uncommon to, to have lived. He died at 40 in that, that life. They didn't think it was unusual. They'd say, well, he, he came, he, he died. You know, he, he came, he lived, he died. And then they sold his clothes. You know, that's, as my grandma says. Okay. And uh, so he, he lived his 40 years. And then he has this, this idea in his head, you know, they, they, he's going to go out and do something fantastic, and he's going to, you know, do something for the, uh, the, Egyptian, for the uh, Jews. He sees this guy being abused by a foreman. He, he whacks him, as the Sopranos would say, and he, and he puts the guy in the sand, didn't do a very good job. The, you know, the sand blows by, and, uh, you know, they see him uncovered, and then one of the, the Jewish guys comes by, and, and says, what are you going to, you know, we saw the guy uncovered, you know. Then he realizes that lots of other people have heard. He takes off for his life. He runs. He's, of course, uh, you know, kind of a, a wanted man at that point. And so what happens is the only people he can be taken in by are a bunch of shepherds. Now, you hear shepherds, you see the Christmas story, and the shepherds were out there, and the angels appear, and we kind of, you know, put it on Christmas cards, and we sing Christmas songs about the shepherds on high and so forth. What you don't understand was that when shepherds came to town, people began to pack up their, their sidewalks. You know, Janie and I lived in Norway for a couple of years, planted one of our churches in Oslo, which is a treat, because uh, Norwegians hate Americans. And so we would very seldom, you know, acknowledge we're Americans. You know, we're Canadians. Oh, great. That's fantastic. Here's our leaf to prove it. Now, um, we, we actually speak Norwegian fairly well. People didn't know we were Americans, and we, we didn't hide. I'm, I'm teasing a little bit, but they, they liked us for some reason. But anyway, uh, we, we went there and got to know people. Here's a little, I don't mean to be, uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, but seriously, when, when um, there's another word for it, but uh, more, uh, I guess, sociologically neutral word, but when gypsies came to town, that's what they call them in Norway. When they came to town, they had a kind of an annual you know, sweep through different parts of Europe. Uh, they, they couldn't find a legal way to keep them out of Norway. But when they came to town, people wouldn't answer their doors when they came knocking, offering to sell things or to do, you know, kinds of uh, whatever, you know, this and that and so forth. Uh, kind of, and th they were so feared 
in the culture, I, I began to talk to them and hang out. I had coffee with them and so forth, and I, I wasn't afraid of them. But uh, Norwegians had this fear of people and so forth, and they, 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 they're coming to town, and they would sit on the news, on TV. It was in the papers. You know, the, the gypsies are coming in a week. You know, it was kind of like Nazis invading or something, you know. And, uh, you know, so you really can't appreciate how it worked unless you lived in a country like that. I know that they were in uh, Ireland not too long ago, and I read it uh, online that something you know, horrible had happened, and they were another gypsy story. Well, you know what? The, the shepherds are seen very akin to the gypsies today. You, you don't talk to them. You lock your doors, and you know, don't let your children out and, you know, in sight and so forth. And you know, it's kind of like, here's another picture, kind of like being a garbage collector. Going from being a person who was in you know, a Trump family member to being a garbage collector. Nothing wrong with being a garbage collector. In fact, I, I used that, that metaphor one time in, in speaking in, in Cincinnati, actually. And, uh, and I, I said it in not a very, you know, clever, kind of a, you know, goofy way, actually. And this guy comes up to me, he says, I'm a garbage collector. And I go, ooh, You're kind of a Homer Simpson, duh. And uh, so the guy and I become friends, actually. And and uh, he says, well, here's my story. I started out as a garbage collector. I worked my way up, became the garbage collector foreman. And then I became the garbage collector, uh, whatever it was, up the scale. And now I own the garbage company. And his name's uh, Rumpke. And if you go to Cincinnati, you'll hear about Rumpke Mountain. He actually, they have a mountain of garbage. It's like 80 stories tall. It's kind of funny, I think. But we became uh, friends, and, you know, he's kind of a well-known character in town now, you know, you know uh, Buck Rumpke. And uh, if you Google his name, he'll have several pages of Buck Rumpke and so forth. But uh, nothing wrong with garbage. He's, a, the, he's the garbage king, you know. So you can actually do well as a garbage collector. But, but here, these guys are the garbage collectors of their day. So here's Moses out there as a shepherd. He was a Trump. Now he's a shepherd, Get the point here? You know, Trump, shepherd, Trump, shepherd. What is going on here? Now, here's the deal. If you, as you read the story, you go on a little further, and we're not going to read it today. Don't have enough time. But as he goes forward, what happens is there's this slight little problem with Moses. He isn't wired like everybody. As, uh, to use this term that some of you have heard before, he has a fire in his belly. He's the kind of guy that thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks Another word is he's a, not an OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, which if you're compulsive, you wash your hands about eight, seven times a day until your hands turn red, and you know, it's a, that's a problem. That's compulsive, but obsessive is, has to do with your thinking. And obsessive people tend to, as therapists call it, go down the rabbit hole. They begin to think about something, and they tend to, you know, for him it was like, if I had only, if he had only, and if I'd only said this and then turn left and not kill that, that, he, that, uh, that uh, whatever he was, that Egyptian guy, if I'd only buried him deeper, if I'd gone down to the creek and weighed him down with a bunch of cement blocks, you with me here? Yeah, then he wouldn't have been found. Then I'd still be right there driving my, my Mercedes chariot. You know, I'd probably have a brand new one this time. You with me here? He's thinking all those things, and the more he thinks, he didn't have Luvox medication, which you can now get which would have been helpful, very helpful. You know, he did, that wasn't even available. That was only available like two years after he killed the guy. He went, okay, which he could have gotten cheap on, online. You know, so he's there, you know, he's going, his fire in his belly. He doesn't think like everybody. He keeps thinking and thinking and thunking and thunking. 
And so he goes down further and further and further. You see, he's tortured by his own obsessive thinking. There's more than one person in this room that has fire in their belly. Some, not just guys, but women, of course, have fire in their belly too. And so he's being tortured. And here's the, the bugaboo in this whole thing, is that he is caught up in his inability to live in a place of courage. He is by nature a guy who later on has unbelievable levels of courage. Of all the people lived in, in her history, you've seen the movie. Charlton Heston stands there like this, and he does this, right? Moses, Charlton Heston, they're the same person, you know, right? And he does this, and the, you know, I mean, how can you be more courageous than that? He is the ultimate picture of courage. But he starts out there, he's, he's, just, he's just done this compulsive, I mean, oh my, I mean, I mean, how could you be further away? He's utterly in a gigantic rabbit hole. There couldn't be a person who's less courageous than that. So what God says is we got to beat the heck out of that fear that he has by doing something in the opposite spirit. You with me here, folks? Wherever you're stuck in, we do the opposite. So God intervenes. I'm not going to get into the whole story, but you know part of it. The, the shrubbery catches on fire. When the shrubbery catches on fire, something's up. I always thought it was like a tumbleweed, but it says nothing about being dry, uh, dry and shriveled up. I thought, you know, it's like a little match could have done it. It wasn't that. It was probably green. It was probably, it was ignited, but not yet burned, you know, the story says. When that kind of thing happens, something's up. And, uh, and that might happen this week to you, I don't know. But, uh, you know, what, what he has happening here is that God says, I want you to live differently. I want you to live in confidence, is what God is saying here to, to Moses. So to regain your confidence in God, something has to happen. There's a few things that have to occur. Now, let me be real practical here today. Instead of just talking up in the air in the sweet by and by, let me give you three points that I think will make a, a difference about regaining your confidence in God. Number one, ready for something practical here? Uh, realize that everyone struggles with confidence. Everyone yeah, we're going from zero to two because I, I skipped around a little bit. <laughs> I woke up at four o'clock this morning and I changed my message twice and I didn't have time to get onto the, to the uh, whatever it is, PowerPoint. So there you have it. Okay, realize that everyone struggles with confidence. Now here's the deal. Some of you are sitting here today and I will hear somebody come to me after the service and say, Steve, I appreciate it, but I don't struggle with confidence because I'm walking in the, uh, in, the, in the Spirit. You know something? The very fact that someone would come up to me and say that means that they are talking themselves into saying that. You with me here? The fact that you are sitting here possibly today saying, I appreciate Steve saying that, but I, don't, I walk in confidence. You see, the very fact that you're saying that means that you are having a little bit of a... <laughs> It's funny, you know, we, we tend to say stuff like that, but it's the very fact we would say it means that we are stuck in it ourselves. You see, here's this thing I've been reading in, in Scripture is that, you know, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but there's these there's this two people that are in Genesis called Adam and Eve. Have you, have you heard about these guys? Okay. Maybe it's me reading sideways. I can be a little listexic on occasion. But uh, that they, as I read it in Scripture, they have passed on this bad blood and uh, these genetic parts to all of us, and uh, that they, they did some really horrible, terrible, no good, very bad things. I was a first grade teacher, and that's a book. Alexander, have you read that book? 
Alexander and the horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day that he had. But um, they had a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day one day. And they just really rocked, not just their world, but all of our worlds. And people have died ever since. And uh, it's been a bad deal. We get sick ever since. And all sorts of shenanigans happen in all of our lives. And part of it is that this, this whole thing of, of being unconfident, of lacking confidence, is a big part of it. It's just the not ideal thing, and we're still dealing with it today. It's an aspect of being related to, to uh, Adam and Eve. And so we, I, I believe that part of the, the whole deal is that, uh, uh, you know, that we are, in fact, um, sometimes, I think part of the whole deal is we beat ourselves up. We all are lacking confidence, at least more on occasion than other occasions. You might have a day or two or three or four, maybe in a whole week. You don't, it doesn't really have a, it's no big deal. But then all of a sudden it kicks in, and you begin to beat yourself up. You begin to say, oh, my gosh, I am, I am a horrible person. You know, I, of all people that I know, I am the, the least confident person that I know. Uh, maybe, you know, life has beaten you up. Maybe you've been told growing up that, you know, you are, you know, you'll never amount to anything. You know, sadly, maybe one of your parents told you that on one of their bad days. Or maybe they had some kind of a life-controlling issue in their lives, and they were told by their dad or their mom, you know something, you'll never amount to anything. Or maybe some authority figure. I remember this one guy named Mr. Griffey. He should have retired about 18 years before I was in sixth grade. But he, this, guy, this guy was, without a doubt, having been an elementary school teacher at one time myself, this guy was unbelievably destructive. I didn't really take a lot in that he said, but just watching how he operated, I think at some point or another, he went on to every single guy in the, the sixth grade class, and he unloaded on them. He used to walk around behind you, and he'd flip your ears like this. That's abusive, like that. And then he would sometimes say something. Other times, he'd just walk on, like, what in the heck? You know, if there were stun guns available at that time, I think he would have you know, done that to guys. You know, I don't know what the deal was, but, you know, just a, a guy... I wonder how he treated his kids. They probably are on a psych ward now, in a straitjacket or something. But, you know, you know, we were, you know, somebody has come along in probably all of our lives and spoken something into our lives at a point of their low point. And we need to realize is that uh, that isn't true. That isn't true. You know, you know, you can't do that. You can, do, you know, you don't hear a funny story. Uh, two different people in the English classes, teachers. I won't get into a lot of detail about describing them, but I could, if I had time, I would. I'd give you a little imitation of both of them. But um, they're, okay. they had, both of them had really thick glasses, for starters. And, you know, those kind you see in movies where they're not really real glasses. And now they make them differently, but they're the kind that you, you, you think, how could they possibly see their eyes are gigantic through the magnification of the, the eyes, you know, in the glasses. But, uh, and both of them have been teaching way longer than they should have, of course. And, and they, they both came to me and said, Steve, you're a really smart guy, but here's the problem. You'll never, ever be able to write ever in your life. So don't even try to do that part. And I was one of those guys where, I, again, I'm obsessive. And I, I do things, you know, if, a, if an 8 is good, I try to do a 12 kind of thing. There's nobody in this room like that, I'm sure. But uh, I, I, I just overdid it in terms of grades and so forth. And uh, I try as I hard did, I could not do well in their classes anyway. I think I would have done fine in English and so forth writing if I had a different teacher. But uh, anyway, I got my worst grades in college and high school. They weren't horrible grades, but they weren't as good as other classes. 
And uh, one in particular, Mrs. Johnson, said, you'll never, ever be able to write. And then the college teacher says something like that. Well, guess what? I have written a number of books that totally have sold half a million copies so far. What do you think of that? See, every once in a while, yeah, you like that? Every once in a while, you have to just do this to your critics. Okay, you with me here? This to do a raspberry to people. Real quickly, there's this lady named Rose that started coming to our church. We had just a couple hundred people. It grew larger later on. And uh, we were, here was our theory. We need to go out and care for the poor face-to-face, hand-to-hand, eyeball-to-eyeball, not just send, but to bring groceries and clothes to people. So we bought this old bus, and I, I remember we couldn't afford to pay for it in cash, so we paid $100 a month. It was $1,200. You get that? The guy that we bought it from had a whole fleet of buses. He goes, let me get this straight. You can only pay $100 a month. And I said, yeah, that's all we could afford. <laughs> okay. It, we prayed every week, don't let it fall down. Don't let it, fall, don't let it break, Lord. Don't let it break, Lord. Don't let it break. But anyway, it was amazing. It didn't break for two years. It was, it was pretty amazing. We, we took all the seats out and put in long... You know, uh, I don't know what they're called, like dowel rods, but what are they called? You know, along the bus, we had a, a clothing rack for men, women, children, and then um, coats because it gets truly cold in Cincinnati. By the way, today I, I got up and Janie said, you know, dress warm because it's cold today. And I said, uh, really, how cold is it? She had in the 60s. <laughs> Pause for effect. Um, it, it, in Cincinnati, it gets down to zero often in the winter. She has quickly adapted to California. Would you agree? <laughs> 60. So I wore my parka. No, I'm, I'm just teasing, you know. I just let her, you know, whatever. I mean, what a day. I mean, time change and freezing weather. I mean, what a, what a day. I'm just stressed out the whole day in, in general. It's just, oh, oh, my gosh. This lady Rose shows up, and she, uh, go back to the bus in a second here. She she says, hi, my name's Rose, and um, I said, hi, Rose, and she's 70, I'm 70, and I'm dying. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, I'm Steve, and I'm a whatever, Democrat, Republican, whatever, and I, I just kind of, by the way, and uh, I said, really, what's going on? She says, well, I have this blood disease, and one doctor says I have six weeks to live, another one says maybe as long as six months, but I just wanted you to know that I'm dying, and I said, well, Rose, good to meet you too. And uh, so she would you pray for me? And so I prayed. And, and as I was praying, I, this idea popped in my head. I said, I feel like I have a prophetic word. If you're kind of new to that language, it means like, like I feel I have an encouraging something to tell you. I feel like God gave me an idea to tell you. And so I said, she is, what is it? I said, it's from the prophet Neil Young. And uh, so she says, uh, I've never heard of him. Is he on TBN? And I said, uh, not yet. Um, so anyway, I said it's this line from one of his songs. It goes like this, uh, better to, uh, how was it? Um, burn, uh, no, better to burn out than to rust away. Better to burn out than to rust away. Do you know what that means? Better to be active than to sit around on the sidelines. Better to burn out than to rust away. See, she was ready to rust away is what it boils down to. She was ready to sit on the sidelines and just kind of go, you know, numb. She was believing all these doctors that said things. And, and of course, I believe in doctors. I go to doctors. I take medication. Like, so I just go to, I take so many medications after my gigantic accident. I pull up to Walgreens, and they give me a grocery bag right there. It's like, it's like going through the, not the express lane, but the longer lane at, at uh, Ralph's, you know. So anyway, I, I take a lot of medications. After. When you die for eight minutes, they, you take medications afterwards. So um, anyway, so uh, she's there, and 
And I said, well, here's the thing, Rose. Why don't you go out with us next Saturday on our bus run? We're going to give away clothes, and we're going to pray for people, and da-da-da. She goes, didn't you hear me? I'm dying in six weeks. And I said, well, that's fine, uh, but come out with us Saturday. Didn't you just hear me? Are you deaf or what? And I said, well, just come with us, and I'll take you to McDonald's afterwards. And she said, well, I like McDonald's. And so anyway, we... <laughs> She comes, and, and I, I had to bribe her. I think I even got her the little toy. We didn't have to buy the Happy Meal. Just got the toy for a dollar. And so I was kidding her a lot. And so she went, and she, she shadowed me the whole time. Went a second week. She's a little more happy. Went a third week. The fourth week, we're up there, and we go to this lady's apartment. It's like a second floor. Da, da, da. We get up there and huffing and puffing and got the clothes and the food and we pray for you. This lady's in a wheelchair. She has a leg that's this big. It looks like elephantitis. It's from having a really severe form of diabetes. The lady says, you got to pray for me. If I, don't, if I go to the doctor on Tuesday and I can't move my ankle, they're going to take my leg off at the knee. The lady's petrified. There's two of her grandkids standing there. And they said, you know, we're so afraid. You could tell the, the look of fear. Can you smell fear? You can smell fear. You could smell the, the, you know, the verge of death happening in that room. And I said, we got to pray for a rose. And she goes, yeah. I said, why don't you pray with me? And she looks at me kind of like, oh, I don't think so. And so I, I said, Lord, just you know, let her ankle move, Lord. And, I, and then the second time I said a little louder, Lord, let her ankle move. And the third time I said, move ankle, a little louder. And I said, Rose, I think the Lord wants you to pray. And she looks at me like, this is way beyond my comfort zone. And I said, you know, Rose, you know, come on, you pray. And she prays this little, you know, Tweety Bird. Lord, boob, the ankle, you know. And uh, I said, come on, get into it, Rose. And she got a little louder, and I said, Rose, yell at the ankle. Move, ankle! She does that because I wasn't going to take no for an answer. And guess what? The lady's ankle goes, ee, 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 like that. The lady goes bananas, but more than that, her grandkids go bananas. They run in the back room, get the other kids out there, the moms. And, you know, it was like, it was pandemonium. It was like uh, Ed McMahon showed up at the big check, you know, the thing, you, know, you have won the Publishers Clearinghouse. And, uh, you know, if they had the, the you know, the, the stuff to throw in the air, the little, you know, paper things, it would have been like, they didn't have and they're fresh out of it. But anyway, they were going nuts. And so Rose and I walked out of the room. We walked down the stairs. Rose was changed right there in the spot. She was absolutely positively changed. And uh, yeah, yeah, you with me here on that? Here's the deal. Here's the deal is um, Rose never was the same after that. She went out week after week after week. When we didn't go out, she went on her own, bought her own groceries, went out. She was spending, you know, a lot of money on groceries. And it became part of her, her budget. I don't know how much. It was a big part of her budget. Well, she's now 97. All of her doctors have died. Every last one of them. <laughs> she's gone many times, you know. Oh, he's dead, huh? Sorry. You know. Sorry about that, doctor. You with me here? She's 97. You know, I went to her 90th birthday, and I sat in this big chair, her next to me, and I said, when I grow up, I want to be just like Rose. You with me here, folks? That's kind of fun, I think. Okay, there we go. Uh, you know, you, that's just an amazing thing. Sometimes you just have to move on. You just have to move on. Real quickly, uh, fake it till you make it. Let me give you a, a couple of real practical ideas here. Fake it till you make it. There's number one. Went to number two, and then fake it till you make it. If you're in a 12-step program, 
You hear this all the time. Fake it to make. You know, another way to say that is faith. Jesus said all over the place, faith, 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 faith. And, uh, you know, he just said, you know, walk out even though you don't feel it. I like this one thing he said, repeat the same, the same phrase, your faith has made you well. Have you read that before? In Jesus' words, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you Just relax. Let your faith move mountains. And that works in an amazing, amazing way. And uh, I think that we ought to go back to that. You know, there is a reason that 12-step programs work. It's because they are based on Scripture. Dr. Bob and Bill W. hit on something amazing. And, and I, you know, as I read their life stories, by the way, I've read a lot about Dr. Bob and Bill W. Is that uh, they were profoundly based on Scripture. I think they specifically, I think, uh, uh, I, I think very in a focused way, they, they got them out of Scripture. If you want to go back further, there was a guy who was a Lutheran pastor who wrote uh, the original seven steps from which they got the 12 steps. It was a Lutheran pastor. And uh, I could go into that sometime in more detail. But he, from, from those seven steps, they drew out the 12 steps. And that was all based on the book of Romans, by the way. And so it, it's an amazing thing. You know, fake it till you make it. And I, and I think that uh, that is really what this idea of, of faith is really all about. Step out, no matter how you feel, no matter what's going on, and what the details are. And I, I think something really amazing will begin to happen. And, and I think that very often that, uh, you know, God really begins to energize with our bit of faith we have. God comes along and does the amazing thing on the other end. We express, you know, I'm going to fake it till I make it. And God says, that's all I was waiting to hear. Come and I will do some amazing things. And then lastly, practice really does make perfect. Practice really does make perfect. You know, God says, start where you are. Let a little bit of, of uh, where you are begin to take off. You know, you look at Moses' life, and you see here today is the epicenter, the beginning point of where he was, and it becomes something really tremendous and powerful as he goes forward. Can you see that? He begins to be, again, Charlton Heston. He begins to move the seas apart in the Red Sea, and it's an amazing, fantastic, spectacular story. But he has to start somewhere. Here he is, you know, the garbage man. Incredibly, he's down the rabbit hole. He's obsessively thinking about what things aren't happening. So God meets him there. He says, just, just express a little bit of faith, Lord. Or Moses, he says, practice, practice, practice. Just a little bit of practice. So your arms are completely out of shape. Begin at a level one. Begin to practice. Let that bicep begin to work a little bit. You know, don't give up. Just start going forward. Start, build up, and then you'll get to a level two pretty soon, and that faith muscle that uh, you're going to work here will begin to grow stronger and stronger. You see, that's what Jesus is really all about, is just begin to go where you are and then make a, a little step forward further, a little step further forward. Here's Jesus' ministry, is that he was a person who reached out to, to uh, how do I put it exactly? That uh, he was one who reached out to uh, spiritual people who were not religious, as I said earlier. Spiritual people who were not religious. You know, the opposite of that were the Pharisees. They were religious people who were not spiritual. Does that make sense to you guys? You see, Jesus says like this. If, you, if what you have is, is exactly enough. What the Pharisees said is, what you have, you will never find it enough. Jesus says, if you have a dollar, that's perfect. If you have $100, perfect. If you have $1,000, perfect. But the Pharisees said, if you have a dollar, God needs a dollar fifty. You are that close. 
You know, if you have an hour to pray, Jesus needs an hour and a half. God needs an hour and a half. Sorry you were that close. You see, that's what they're always saying. That's what religion is really all about, negative religion. They're, it's all about what you aren't able to ever attain to. It's the opposite of Jesus. And so what, what this is saying here and what Moses' life is really all about is getting back to living in true spirituality versus religion. Practice really does make perfect. Just begin to work your faith muscle. Begin to realize that God will take you right where you are, make a little bit of progress, go from a one to a two. You don't have to be a 12 right off the bat. Just go from a one to a two and then a 2.5. We'll get to three here pretty long and we'll go on. We're building our confidence. Now, let me just close up here. Um, what Jesus says here, I, I love what he, he gets into just here at the, uh, toward the, the end of uh, is a picture he gives. Uh, listen to this. I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He's talking about birds. Yeah, let me give you a thought. Here's, I think, a picture of a, a typical bird. We have it up there. Uh, we, I think we did. That's a typical bird right there. You think of birds, you think there, there is a typical bird. You know, they're happy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. That, that's a bird, okay. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever in your entire life seen a worried bird? Walking back and forth, smoking a, a camel, filterless. Oh, my gosh. Somebody has an app pretty quickly. I am SOL, up the creek without a paddle. You know, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm wearing a hole in my nest here. You mean, like, oh, my gosh. I'm getting a... I'm getting a an ulcer here. You know, that's a worried bird. You know, I mean, think of, think of uh, Big Bird. He never, ever worries. On his worst day in life, he has a smaller smile. You know, he's always smiling. You see, you never see a worried bird. Jesus says, think of the birds. And, and guess what? I care for you a lot more than Big Bird. <laughs> you know, funny way to put it, you know. I love what Jesus says in uh, just another version of that. He says, and I will certainly be with you in the King James. I will certainly be with you. As you go into this week, guess what he's saying to you and me? I will certainly be with you. You know, sometimes we read Scripture, I do anyway, and it's a, a bit like the, that verse in James where we, we see clearly, and then, but it's kind of like a mirror. We walk away, we can't remember what we saw of ourselves or of, of life. And we forget, we walk away, and we forget. It's kind of like spiritual speed reading, you ever speed read? You go through quickly and then you walk away. I don't remember what it said. Woody Allen said that he, he's learned how to speed read. The night before, he read War and Peace. Somebody asked him what this all about. He said, something about Russia. I, that's all I can remember, something about Russia. That's the problem with speed reading. You don't, get the, you don't get a whole lot out of it. So we speed read through the truths of Scripture. It doesn't sink into our hearts. That's why we need to sometimes slow it way down. To a few syllables and let it sink into our hearts. I like that one line. I think it ought to just let it sink into our hearts, the soil of our hearts. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. I will certainly be with you. Not just today, 
but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, all the way through Saturday, then it's like Mr. Red here. I know it does, but uh, next week we'll come together and we'll celebrate how incredibly faithful God has been all week by certainly being with me all week long. We're not going to spiritually speed read this week, but we're going to go ahead and let God be with us. We're going to meditate. We're going to walk in the Spirit. We're going to realize He has certainly been with us. And we're going to give away His love and His mercy and His presence to people we run into. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just thank You for certainly being with us today. We thank You for certainly being upon us. We, Lord, thank You for that You are refilling us and changing us into people of courage that you're giving us a a new deposit of courage to fight against the things that would lie to us, to fight against the things that would say that we have not been provided for, would fight against the things that, like in Moses' life, would cause us to go down the rabbit hole and to lose courage and to begin to believe that we have not been provided for. And so, Lord, this week, we pray by the power of your Spirit that you would allow us, Lord, to focus in on who you are and how you have loved us and how you do love us. We see right here, right now, Lord, we will walk in that, that mindset that you are upon us. Certainly, you will be with us. Receive that now in the name of the Lord. Receive that now, that he will be upon you. Certainly, he will be upon you now. Receive that by the power of the Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Josh, you come up here? No, somebody's coming up here. I like these timers. They're really cool. They tell you how long you've gone, how much. I'm going to go on for Josh for Christmas. What do you think? Okay. (laughs) Kind of cool. All right, wasn't that good? Let's give Steve, Pastor Steve a hand. Um, I don't know if you could hear us, but Pastor and I were like busting up back there. So we have acquired Steve's sense of humor. We love it. Um, if I can have the ushers come to the front, and let's, uh, let's receive the offering. Don't be afraid, folks. Don't be afraid. God loves you. He's, he's got your life. He wants you to rest in his presence. You don't have to live in fear anymore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this word that you've given to Pastor Steve. And I, I pray that we will receive it uh, deep within our hearts, God. I pray that you will write your word upon our hearts today. And God, for those that are... Uh, Weary, God, I pray that you will refresh us physically and refresh our souls, as Jeremiah says. So come in and refresh us, God. Give us courage, God. Give us that, uh, what Pastor Steve said today. God, give us the ability to, to not be afraid of our circumstances and not to be afraid, oh, there's never going to be enough. God, may we no longer walk under that condemnation, under that fear. Thank you so much for your encouraging word to us today. Bless this offering. God, I pray that it will advance your kingdom. God, I pray that we can do more amazing things with what you have given us. Amen.